Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Derek Broussard. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And, and you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. And it's been a week. It has been a week. I, I don't even know how to start this, guys. The, the, the Flyers are bad, right? Like, they're supposed to be bad. And they, they've won six of seven. And Chuck Fletcher probably is going to keep his job now. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. So I'm just going to throw it to you guys first. Let me lead with our, our dear pal, Chris Terrian, Bundy. Find him on Twitter, at Terrian 6 how are you, and can you please make sense of what the hell has happened in this past week? Well, you know what? I, I always said, like, hockey in a lot of ways is – first of all, Russ, congratulations. I know we'll talk more about it. Another a new dad again, Anthony. This guy is just an absolute uh, – a kid uh, fact pumping machine right over there. He's a kid. This guy's a factory. I know what it's like, Russ. I got four too, buddy, so who am I to talk? I know. Um, I'm, the, I'm the short one with three. You're right. Anthony, there's still time, Ant. There's still, there's still time. I talked to a delivery no. nurse who said that there was a 75-year-old dad in uh, at – Penn Medicine, not that long ago. So, I mean, I know, like, what seventy two, but like you still have a few years there yet. Um, anyway, congrats, congrats on the, on your busy week, Russ. It's been a great, it's been a great week. It's been an unbelievable week. And um, so, what's happened is, uh, here's what I think has happened. Um, just going back and using references from my past, or or when I think in the times that were either like up or down in my career. So I think what happened was when they started this, and we'll throw the Toronto game out. Toronto was the best team they played uh, of these seven games, right? Like it's so there's they've won six of seven. Um, Toronto was the best team they played. They were coming in on the second night of a back-to-back. The Leafs were the Flyers were kind of waiting on them, and Toronto gave them a pretty good, pretty good smack in terms of the scoreboard, six to two. But what happened was when the Flyers went out west, um, they started with San Jose. If I'm not, they did. When you get on a roll, usually you get a, a couple of bad teams where they're more vulnerable. And if you're not you're not a top team either, they ended up winning those games. They started feeling good about themselves. They snuck out the game. And I was joking about it, like, you know, as we were saying on Twitter, like, you know, the, the Flyers about to get through the three-headed California monster. It's not a three-headed monster at all. It's a two-headed – it's a two-and-a-half-headed monster, really, because LR actually – it's like a one. It's a one-headed monster of the three teams now because LA might be the only quasi-good team, and I'm not sure how they're winning, but they are. Um, so the Flyers got on a roll. They caught fire. They came home. The schedule was conducive to it too, right, Ant? Like you couldn't look at another six or seven-game window in the season, and I did, where you're like, where could the Flyers possibly go find 12 points out of an available 14? And it may continue from here on in. You played Buffalo this week. Buffalo's awful. They can't win a game right now. They're falling. They lost the next night. I think, again, they got shut out again at home to maybe like a Nashville or somebody like that. So they're playing teams where it's opportune, uh, prime picking to get beat. Uh, they're also feeling good about themselves. And to be honest with you, I think we were, you know, we, we hinted about this just in light conversation before. Their top guys are scoring. Like, Konechny's getting it done. You know, like, I, I again, whether he'd be – he's not a first-line player on a championship team. He's not. Nobody's going to tell me he is. He's having a career year. Um, but he's getting it done. Scotty Lawton's done a good job on the power play. They're scoring goals. And the other thing, the other thing, the last part of this for me, and maybe I've missed a couple things, Ersan, Urson, Ersan, the goalie. 
when you get a new goalie coming, it kind of gives you like a little bit of um, like a little bit of wind to change behind you a little bit, where you're like, wow, we won with the guy, we're feeling good. Uh, it can happen for a stretch of time. Well, whether we have a good, you know, we talked about it last week, you know, in terms of what they look like they're going forward, uh, what that looks like entirely beyond what a small sample size is. Um, I don't know that the answer to that, but he's played well. Uh, the Flyers have had opportunistic goals. They've had good comebacks. Um, and as a result, you've won six out of seven games combined with your, your better players being at the top of their game uh, and having some opponents that you've had an opportunity to suffocate because they're worse than you are. But that being said, the Flyers have been an entertaining team to watch. They have played well. They've had good goals. Owen Tippett is starting. I'm starting to become a believer now a little bit more in that trade. Uh, you know, as we talked about the Giroux thing, I was, I would have sold Giroux. Like I was, I'm glad they got, got that for him. Cause I, at the end of there, I, you know, with an expiring contract, um, yeah, they're lucky they got anything for him to be quite honest with you coming off a non-playoff team for two years. So he's been great. That was, ended up being a good move. Looks like it's going to get better, but there's been a lot of things that have come together to win six of seven. And the one thing I will tell you, all the things that have made those six of seven come together could all go the other way and the wheels could come off really quickly as well. And that's what happens with a team. And I'll, I'll stop with this. Um, as you're, you're climbing or you have a coach that's got you in the driver's seat to do some really cool things when you're not supposed to do them, they're doing those things right now. But I wouldn't expect it to sustain because I just don't think this is a level of sustainability uh, with the personnel on this current team as it sits. But while it's here, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And it's been very, very uh, uplifting if you're a Flyers fan that wanted to see change and wanted to see good things happen in the 2022, the 23 season. You're seeing them right now. And that is a good thing. And of course, somebody who always appreciates change. Anthony Sanfilippo, find him on Twitter at Philly. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I was, it was good to be down there the other night, Russ, uh, for the Washington game. I, that was the one game out of this stretch that, that I thought that they were most impressive. Um, I kind of like Bundy, you know, you roll your eyes a little bit that they beat the teams out in California. I mean, Anaheim's not even an NHL team. The Sharks aren't much better. LA, even though they are, have a winning record and, and sit in a playoff spot, they've, uh, their goal differential, they're a minus team. So, uh, you know, I think that eventually comes down as well. I think they, I'm not certain that they ultimately are a playoff team. And then, of course, they beat Arizona um and buffalo uh, who are also not great teams right so so it's like okay you know but the washington game like that was the first time like they went against a legitimate team in, in this stretch against a legitimate team and played better than them they really played better than washington i know washington has had a couple of injuries lately getting guys back into the lineup like backstrom and tom wilson and they're just trying to trying to get their feet under them they don't have john carlson in the lineup right so so washington's not a complete team yet but you know they did a real nice job I mean you get Carter Hart stoning Ovi on a breakaway and that was really Ovechkin's only real good chance of the game they really kind of kept Washington to the outside for a lot of the game there were a couple of mistakes that led to the Washington goals uh, ultimately but um, but really when it was a lot of five on five play the Flyers played well uh, power play gets a goal um, they're well technically two I mean Connecting's empty netter was a was a power play goal. Um, uh, they got a goal shorthanded. Um, so like they really, in all phases, played a really really strong game. But and to Bundy's point that he just made at the end, even the coach recognizes where where they are and what they're doing. And and I want to just read a couple things 
here. So that, you know, may, don't want to get people too too excited. You you hear some of the media are asking questions like, "Oh, you're only seven points out of a playoff spot now. Can you guys get back into a playoff spot?" And it's like, pump those brakes, man. Pump those brakes because you know well we get into the specifics but i mean you know pittsburgh's got two games in hand so that seven can become an 11 real fast you got to jump over five teams that are in front of you in the standings you're not going to keep winning six out of seven you got to play you got to play some good teams coming up right i mean there's there's some there's some real challenges on the schedule you're not going to keep winning all these games and ultimately you can't be a 500 team and make up the difference here right i mean so and and, and even if they are a 500 team um, they, they're not they're not going to be able to win enough games to get back into the play. So let's pump the playoff breaks. But here's what, what Torts had to say. I still think we have things to do. When you could call your team this, whatever that identity is, whatever word you want to use, it needs to be consistent. Consistent isn't two weeks. Consistent, quite honestly, isn't just the regular season. Consistent is when you get to the playoffs and you're doing it there. So listen, I'm happy with some of the progression of the players. I think they're feeling really good offensively. I think they're allowing themselves to play offensively. We've lost a little stiffness defensively. I think we need to improve on that. But as I said, as each day goes by here and they get some results in this little pocket, hopefully they can rely on it when they get to a little jam. You're you're not going to get me to talk about where we are yet. We just haven't been doing it for long enough. And then later... He says uh, he says this, and this was actually a question that that I asked, uh, talking about you know reading plays. They look like they're reading the plays really well. And he says when you're getting some puck luck and you're getting some success, especially the offensive guys, it just seems to come easier to you. So hopefully, uh, so hopefully it stays. The key part of the National Hockey League is to ride the wave as long as you can in momentum. As far as how we're playing, there's going to be a time where we're going to get kicked again. And we're going to try and stay away from it as long as we can. But when we do, how quickly can we get out of that? That's the key in trying to get where you want to be after a regular season is how long you can keep the momentum on your side. When you lose it, how quickly can you get it back? We'll see what happens. So he doesn't sound like a coach who's like supremely confident that this team is going to be able to maintain any kind of success that like it's having right now. Yeah, losing 10 in a row will do that. I think, honest to God, I noticed a different torts after the 10-game losing streak. <laughs> like, he went kind of like batshit. Like, I, I mean, he started going all over the place with his verbalizations of players, uh, benching guys, sitting <laughs> them out. And I think that he actually realized, like, this is just me. I, but I, I, I think I've seen enough of his personality and, uh, you know, and ego and mannerisms over the years. I think he was like, holy shit, I'm a really good coach, and we just lost 10 games in a row. Yeah. And and I, I really, honestly, God, I think he took that so personally, not that he couldn't get them over the top, but that they actually had a team that was capable of him being the coach he is and still having the ability to lose 10 in a row. I think he was actually – I don't think he knew what we knew, and we said it this summer – I don't think he knew what he was coming into. I don't. And I, I think you have to see it to believe it. Um, but I will say one thing. He's gotten them to a different level in terms of the way they're playing. And this is what he does. And yeah. if you're Russ last summer talking, well, I don't want a good coach here. I don't want a good coach. Because this is what he does. He makes your team that much better. And if you're that bad a team 
And I, and again, I don't like playing, and I've said this before, I don't like playing hockey for some 18 year old kid uh, that's, you know, may or may come in and turn your franchise around. I mean, the last 18 year old phenom we've seen has been in eight years in Edmonton and he hasn't seen a goddamn playoff of a Stanley cup sniff at all. And you know what else? He may not again this year. They might not even make the playoffs at Edmonton. So if you're starting to lay all your cards out on the line for that number one pick that you think is going to bring you all the, the glory, it might for your season ticket holders. Um, historically, it's usually been a good a good omen on, on, up until Sidney Crosby, you know, with generational type players. I'm giving McDavid still got time left, but I don't want to play my schedule to try to get an 18-year-old. John Tortorella will never do that. He'll never do that. And that's why I think the 10-game loser to him was like, wow, this is really, really bad. And it's going to take an extraordinary job for me to kind of find. And remember, that's right about the time he said, well, we need to find out what we got here. Yeah. And what's salvageable and what's not. And I think he's finding out at the top of the food chain, especially the forwards. The forwards, especially the top guys, Lott and Konechny, they've been terrific. They've been terrific. So if you can find a revelation out of it, if you can find a way to, you know, to, to have built Travis Konechny into the player that they've been waiting for for seven years, then John Tortorella has done his job. Same with Scotty Lawton. It's been great. I've always been a fan of, 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 of Lawton. TK made too many mistakes for me to, 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 to put enough bank in him over time. They say, like, I can't have a guy out there with two minutes left in a game if I can't trust him that he's not going to put a puck into the middle of the ice and turn it over. He's been better at that. You know, so I, I I give Torts a lot of credit, but there's something about the end of that 10 games uh, span. And Anthony, you'd see it being around there that absolutely changed in his demeanor, it, the way that he's addressed everybody. Yeah, no, you're, 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 I think you're right. I think that that, that was a turning point in a lot of ways for how he was going to approach or presenting his team, um, both publicly and, and privately. I think that that's when, that's when, you know, we got into the situation where he was really talking about the rebuild finally using that term, right? I, I think yeah. he used it, um, uh, in an interview. And, 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 and I think that that's when you started to really see towards identifying players that he liked and players that he maybe doesn't like and, and who he wants to keep here and who he doesn't want to keep here. Um, I, I do think that there is some benefit. There, there is benefit, uh, like Bundy is saying, to them having a little bit of success and being more competitive right now. I think that what you're, you're seeing is that there are players that you can say, we're going to have them here when we try to get good, right? And, and if you look at it, you mentioned Lawton and Konechny. I mean, obviously – um, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Owen Tippett, you, you briefly talked about him yep. the guy is, he can skate and he's got a hell of a shot. I think he's going to be a power forward in this league. He's a, also not a top line guy, but he can be a second line winger and get you 25 to 30 goals and, 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 and be, a uh, you know, a real, I mean, he draws, he drew three penalties against Washington just because yeah. he's moving his feet. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a very simple thing. You always hear coaches say that move your feet. And you're thinking, well, of course guys are playing hockey. They're going to skate, right? Of course they're moving their feet, but he starts right away and draws the penalties on those. So I think that there's another player. I think ultimately, I mean, Noah Cates is playing top line center. He's not a top line center, but ultimately he's going to be a good third line center. Right. I mean, and, you know, you put him on a line with, say, uh, Lawton and maybe Wade Allison, who's starting to show a little bit of, of that third line ability. Maybe that becomes a good third line for you. Right. And so then you got a Konechny and you got a Tippett. So you got pieces 
you're still missing three or four, you know, top end forwards. And you hope Carter Gauthier becomes one. Okay, fine. Um, but you still are missing that. And you got good stuff in goal. You have Carter Hart, who's been playing really well, uh, t- Toronto game aside. Uh, yeah. And Urson's really had a hell of a start to his NHL career. So you feel good that you have good depth there, right? Great. The blue line. This is where my concern is, Bundy. I mean, obviously, you need you need talent up front. We know this. We Tours keep saying it, and it's that's obvious. Notice how I didn't mention the defense yet? Well, but yeah, and this is the thing. So here's where I'm at with this. The problem what I have on defense is that they're not individually bad players because they're not. They're all okay. They're all okay. It's just that there's so much money tied into your blue line right now that you can't improve it unless you get rid of guys and bring in new players. And I'm not certain that they have the depth in the organization to sit there and say, well, we have this next guy who's going to come in and and be better than someone we have right now. Might Zamula be better than uh, uh, than Nick Sealer? Yeah. (laughs) You know, okay. Yeah, I mean, but to me, Zamula is a at best second pair, but probably third pair guy. You know, you have the kid in Sweden, Emil Andre. Who, who knows what he's going to be when he gets over here? Who, but I mean, he's at least a prospecty type. But I mean, again, I, I think high ceiling is a second pair. Um, I, I ultimately think Cam York is a second pair guy. He's yeah. not a top pair guy. So I mean, you got a lot of guys who fall into that three to f- six range, but nothing really at the top. I mean, Provorov is still what he is. Um, and playing those minutes, but we've come to the determination he's not a one, no. um, maybe a two, uh, but not a one. Um, and, and so, therefore, that to me is the spot where you have too much money tied up in just okay players. Yeah, and, and again, well, like and, I'm not, I'm not here like to assess them, but I mean, they're guys like like Sergachev, right? In in, uh, in Tampa, right? He's a second pair guy all day long. If you put him as a top pair guy, they would be a different team, right? You know, so that's the that's a part of the the defenseman. I didn't say mentioning we talked about like those those high guy like the forwards that have really elevated a game like TK and Lawton. Who knows? I mean, you know, do you have to go to the well to take the guy that the two guys that have absolutely done the most this year to try to turn the ship around and say we may have to trade one of those forwards to get a package in to try to get you know to get everything in line. The problem is, is that we have the, we have three guys, uh, three, four, yeah, three guys on defense for the Flyers. None of them are a number one defenseman that are all in really long-term contracts. And that's a major problem. You cannot win in the NHL if you don't have good defensemen. You can't. You can well, sit there all day long and try to sell defensemen to the general public and tell your fans that, oh, we're coming. If you don't have good D, you can't win. It doesn't matter. You can have the best forwards in the world if your D are not up to par. And I'm not saying this is the Flyers. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying in general. You can have the greatest 12 forwards in NHL history. If you've got six average defensemen, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a harsh reality. But again, I think what will have to happen if they, and this is a reality, I mean, it, those defensemen they have, they cannot be here for the whole rebuild. It's just impossible. Unless, unless nobody takes them, right? So that's there, why they're hoping problem. some of them play really well. So you could probably start considering shopping them, whatever that looks like. And your number one defenseman of the future might not even be a 21-year-old kid yet. 
You don't know that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you have all these kids here, 25 now. The defenseman that we're talking about, that number one, he may not even exist right now in terms of the minds of who those people are. So that's why it's so important that you get your draft picks right when you got an opportunity to pick high. And if you can get a guy, like we were talking about Desjardins this week. Sorry for going off today, Anthony. I'll let you jump. We're talking about Eric Desjardins today. That's a goddamn dream trade for a general manager, for Bob Clark when he made it, right? You get a guy who comes in who's a bona fide number one, and he ends up calming the entire defense core for 10-plus years. Plus, I had a hell of a good partner out of him. But you know what? Um, that's that's the kind of thing that everybody hopes you get. But, man, it's harder and harder to find guys like that because they are really, truly the diamond in the rough. You get a number one defenseman that's hopefully homegrown, or if you can find one in a trade where you could sneak one in on someone, you got a, you got yourself a good team for 10 years, guaranteed. And here's your your – I guess your sobering moment of the episode is you ride the high of six of seven, and then you look at cap friendly. So to what you guys have been talking about, if you look at next year, you've got Provorov at 6.75 million. You've got Ristolainen on a five-year deal at 5.1 million. Crazy. You've got another year of Tony D'Angelo at five. You've got Travis Sanheim, whose uh, extension is going to kick in 6.25 million. Between those four players alone, you've got over $23 million on the books for four defensemen. And if we're being honest about it, Provorov is probably a second-pair defenseman. Ristolainen is probably a third-pair defenseman. D'Angelo, I don't know. And then Sanheim is like a tweener. That's what you have. And there's nothing in the pipeline that makes it... Like, where on the forward front, you look and you say, hey, Gautier looks like he could be promising. And like, even though you you have the ability to look at more forwards just by virtue of there being more forwards on the roster, where you can look at like a Tippett or an Allison and say, all right, like there, there are positive signs here, or no Cates. And you can say, all right, like these guys are good second line players, or good third line players. And we need to, you know, add that top line talent. The Flyers don't have that flexibility right now and they don't have that pipeline in defense. So you look at it and you go, that's a lot of money to be tied up. And if we're basing it on this year's numbers, the, the entirety of the seven defensemen who are rostered is just under 30%. Those four guys alone on their current deals, that's before Sandheim's money jumps from 4.65 to 6.25, comes out to be 612, 20, 20.5, 26.2% 20, of the cap is tied up in four defensemen, none of whom are particularly great at anything, which now I guess is probably about as good as, as we can get to something that Anthony wrote this past week about the guy who was supposed to be the number one defenseman, the one that this team was so sold on as being the number one defenseman going forward that Ron Hextall chose to take Nolan Patrick over Cal McCarr. Yeah, so it, you know, and, and, like, and that one defenseman would have changed everything. That's what I'm trying to everything. say. When they brought the Jardin in, he transformed the look of the entire defense. That's why I said this week at Twitter, hey, we need to try to get Rico on here to explain, you know, what he meant to the team, talk about our partnership, because I know he'd have great things to say about it, but also how the dynamic, we've talked a lot about getting the chemistry with players. Sometimes things just fit that you can't explain. There's no rhyme or reason to it, you know? Um, but, you know, and, and understanding who you are amongst that group. You know, I understood very clearly that I was like a, a good Robin to Batman. And that's exactly, but you have to know that. And you have to understand that. And you can't think that you're something you're not. 
You know, if you think you're Wayne Gretzky and uh, you end up being, uh, you know, me as an offensive player, well, then, you, you know, you know what you're getting. That's what it is. I'm not I'm not that. But that's an understanding of players. But one defenseman was my point. If you get one guy who can solidify it, you have salvageable pieces back there that you can plug in. To me, Provorov needs a Desjardins. Yeah. That's what I think. Yep. He needs a Desjardins. He's not the Desjardins. He needs a Desjardins. Right, which, which is why he's not a number one. That's a number right. one defenseman he, makes his partner better, makes his team better. Yes. He needs someone to make him better. Yes, but also, but nothing detracting is him. He can also, with his skill set, make that top guy a good player as well. Correct. And yeah, that's what Rico, that's what I would say to you. Rico made me a great player, but I didn't do anything out of the realm to be somebody I wasn't. Right. And he would tell you that I was the perfect set for him because I would stay back. I could skate. We moved the puck well together. It just worked. But right. I, that's what I'm trying to say is that if you could find that one guy, you could salvage a Provorov to put him in, to place him and slot him accordingly on a top pair. Then you'd but be so able to slide the other two guys down accordingly to where they are. Everybody on defense right now is playing in a role they shouldn't be playing in without Correct. the according help that they should have had that I was lucky enough to have. And I hope everybody understands I'm saying this so humbly. I was not a star player. I was a good skating defenseman. Um, didn't kill guys when I played, but was smart enough to play 10 years with the top dog. And as Homer said, so Paul Homer used to say, sometimes you have to be as smart or smarter to play that role. And I'm telling you, if Chuck can find that number one guy, there's salvageable pieces on the defense. But the way it's going right now, you, you, you can't make, you can't turn something into something that it's not even if you think it is. Well, you also need the players to have a true and uh, a true and fair understanding of their actual worth and what their skill sets are and to not have an overinflated self ego or self worth. But that's the and, world we live in now. Everybody yeah, thinks but, they're better than they are. They're all told well, how great you should see minor hockey, Russ, go to a minor hockey rink and listen to these fucking parents tell their kids, Oh, little Johnny is so special. He's going to be in, and I'm like, you guys are just living in an alternate reality. Hockey parents, I said, the dumbest people I've ever met. I've been one of them. I, I have lots of friends. I love them. Uh, they are living in an alternate reality. So, but that's the problem. These kids are told how great they are from the time they're ten. That when they do actually make it, they still think they're ten and they're the greatest player in the team. You got to adjust. Of, in the case of Provorov, though, through multiple coaches, he was given that role as the top defenseman on the power play. He was given the you know, the ability to play in all situations. He was leaned on as a young player to, to do this, to, to carry that load, to carry that burden. And that inherently is going to make a guy think that he's better than he, he is or make a guy think that he's, he's ready. And, and I think that maybe more than anything has been the biggest detriment to his development is that there, I don't think there's ever been a question about if Ivan Provorov is motivated to get better. Like we've always heard the stories about, you know, He's out training, you know, in the offseason. He's training like a psycho because he wants to come in and he, you know, he wants to he wants to be the guy the team can rely on. But the problem is, like, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And you can work your ass off as much as you want, but you're eventually you're gonna hit your ceiling. And unfortunately for this team, that ceiling isn't what they needed it to be. It's not the ceiling that Ron Hextall thought it was going to be. Look. And and that that I think is the biggest problem they've got because barring a, a trade by Chuck Fletcher to like get a number one defenseman. I, I'll tell you, I don't have a lot of faith in because the last one he tried played four games, five games. And now, uh, you know, it's going to be 
LTIR from now until the end of time. Me, so like, I got to tell you this quick story, guys. When I was broadcasting, right, I was doing TV. The true story. We get a call. Uh, the broadcasters, Ron Hextall wants to meet the broadcasters. He wants to see us, which is rare. I don't, and I don't say anything when I'm broadcasting. I call it the way it is. There's no bullshit, you know, ever. Like it's like this. Probably why I'm doing this. Um, anyway, um, Jim, Jim Jackson would call the games and he'd have like Provorov, like he'd think it was Paul Coffey and Ghost was, you know, Ray Bork. And I'm like, I'd be down there. I'm like, this, this is just ridiculous. Like, I'm like, I think to myself, JJ, shut up. And I know Jonesy thought the same thing. And um, it, it was, I'm thinking like you're selling these kids as 19 year old kids as these, these future pedigrees. And I said, I didn't think that they were that. And I would tell them all the time. I don't think that these are the guys that you're trying to sell them. And I don't think it's fair. That you do. So one day out of the blue, Hextall calls a meeting and says, I'm, you guys need to stop. He wasn't saying it really to me. or He was probably talking to JJ going, we need to stop glorifying Provorov and Gostas Bear. Like enough. You guys, you're selling them like they're Bork and coffee. And they weren't. You have to let guys play at that age. You got to let them at least get their wings under them. I understand the broadcast works in co co conjunction with the team. That's the bullshit that I never wanted to sell to the fans. And I never did. And a guy, if a guy, if Kale McCarr's here and he's Bobby Orr, or Paul Coffey, I'll tell you, I'll let you know. But those are the issues that guys are told. They hear it in their heads and they start believing it. And it's a problem. And it took a GM to probably watch one too many hockey games and say, all right, enough's enough. And knock it off. So a lot of egos how often, become involved. How often in the did that happen, though, Bundy? Industry. When, when, as a broadcaster, how often did you have a front office executive, you know, try to influence the messaging of a player? Never, not for me. Like I'd have guys like say something like, I had Paul Holmgren, and and we were, you know, we I'd been there, but I they knew that I was a no nonsense, no bullshit guy. I was going to tell them what I saw on the ice what I see in front of me on a nightly basis. And then I try to show a big picture based on um, one single game at a time that I watch these guys play. Then I make an assessment at the end of the year, what kind of a season they had. Um, believe me, I had bad seasons too. First guy to tell you bad games, awful games, turn pucks over up the middle. No question. But again, those are, those are errors you make in a season and stuff like that. But no, I didn't, I, when I broadcast it, I call it the way it is. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people do these jobs to keep their jobs and try to and sell it. But I think you have to be honest. I just really think you just have to be honest broadcasting. And I think that's the best way to do it. Um, but Hextall, I, I did. Uh, Russ, I'll be honest with you. That was the only time personally that I would had uh, uh, like a general manager actually talk about messaging and saying to maybe not so much myself or Jonesy, but you guys are getting it wrong. You're getting it totally wrong and, and it needs to stop. And he was. He was angry about it. Um, but I just give you a little bit of an insight. Paul Holmgren, he was there all those years. He never once said anything. You know, he says, I, you know, if I listen to you, he goes, you do a good job. That's all That's all I want to hear. It's, that's all you want. But, you know, you get people. But there are teams, I would imagine, you know, he's saying like to the broadcasters, here, here's the messaging we want in these guys. Um, but you can't call a guy a superstar um, if he's just a star. <laughs> it's yeah. not fair to the player. So let's let's kind of flip this to the forwards. So Travis Konechny's having this breakout season, right? Like the best season of his career. And there, there's a question, and I think it's a question that is probably fair to some extent. It's a question that like comes up a lot, um, especially with bad teams. You have that, that question of 
is this player a decent player on a good team? Is he a good player or a great player on a bad team? Where does he fall? Like how, how well do these skills translate and how much does this production translate? Because no matter what, even if you're on a terrible team, somebody has to score the goals. Somebody has to record points. It has to happen. I guess Bundy, like I, I, I want to tap into the player brain here. Okay. Because I would assume that if you're an opposing coach and you're coming to town to take on this team, one of, if not the player right now that you're trying to scheme to stop in some way, shape or form is Travis Konechny, at least in the way that he's played say the last 10 games. So as a player, if, if that is the case going into a game, how much can you really do to limit him? And if he still manages to produce as like the only guy who really can at that level, does it prove that maybe he is better than just being, you know, the quote unquote good player on a bad team? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously if you're, you know, if you're, if he's dealing with checking responsibilities, obviously, uh, you know, when, when at home you're going to, he's going to, it's going to be a little bit easier because they're going to get the matchup and the, the favorable side for him. But, I mean, listen, I, I'm not going to detract from a guy no matter what the case is. He's playing really, really well. He's he's going to the front of the net. He's been opportunistic. Um, that's a good question, Russ. You know, I, again, I've seen – we've seen uh, an all-star version of Konechny before, um, but not like this. This is easily his best year. It's not even close. Um, and and he looks like a, a revamped player. These, you know, there's certain guys, right, Anthony, like where you look at John Tortorella and he has them. And then he does well with guys. And then there's players, they're terrible with them, like mm-hmm. that do not respond at all. So you can say what you want about connecting, but he's responded to whatever torts is brought to him. Uh, and even Kevin Hayes, you know, same thing with Kevin Hayes. He's not, I mean, he's he's got contract, the long-term contract situation here, but there's some guys that have really risen up and answered and responded to what torts has had. I mean, connecting, remember early in the year, was it November? He got benched, right? Like, mm-hmm. Without glory in that. I mean, and people are thinking in Philly, all because all we knew then was the previous version of Travis Konechny, right? We didn't see this one. We didn't know. We didn't have, you know, he had only maybe six goals at the time, which was good. But Torts thought there was something else there. So he's gotten to him. Do I think he's a, a, a top-line player in a Stanley Cup team? No, of course not. But but is he a second or third-line guy? If he gets up, if he's playing the way he is on a Stanley Cup team, could he be a second-line guy? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I, I don't think he's not a, he's not a top line Stanley Cup guy. The, in, the interesting thing I think on Konechny is is and Torts brought this up um, was the work that he's doing extra work he's doing with Briere, uh, where Danny has actually sat down with him and showed him some video and showed him that he was a player who played too much to the outside. And Bundy, I know this is there's a lot of technical stuff that kind of ties into this, but you know as a former player you understand what 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 he was saying but that Konechny needs to play more to the inside uh, on his. So instead of just standing out on the wing and just firing pucks on net, you're like, oh, well, he's getting shots. They're just not going in. Instead, he's making a play with the puck. And maybe it's throw it to a teammate and then drive to the net and get in front. Even though he's a smaller player, if you go to those areas, he's going to get the puck back and have a better chance of scoring from there than he was from, you know, outside uh, on the circle, right? Or outside the circle. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and, and there's definitely been an element of that 
to his game this year that was not there before. And I think that that's probably why you're seeing more production from him. He still, he still makes the same, I think some of the same mistakes that he used to make b- before, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to do something that maybe he shouldn't. Um, but there's a lot more of him doing the things that Danny used to do when he played and you were like, well, how's this little guy getting in there? I mean, you know, but he does not be, not be afraid to get, in that blue paint area and, and just whack at pucks while they're there and, you know, drive the net and get, get some goals. Yeah. I mean, he's done a better job. I don't, I don't remember Danny being the fiercest middle of the ice guy, but um... no, but he would, in other words, he would come. What, what I think what I'm trying to say is he would come off. He would beat his man off the wall and drive towards the net so that he's got so, space. Great. And then great. When, yeah, great example yeah. the other night. I will say one thing. So a perfect example of leading things. I'm just trying to think of Breer because I think of, I, when I think of Danny offensively, I just think of a, a power play side guy that would score down low over on the net and yeah, yeah. very, very clever. Um, Konechny, so the goal the other night, I'm trying to remember, was it a home game or was, or was the one before? He made a quick play down low. It was right – maybe it was Faraby. It was a Faraby behind yes. the net. and then he goes and to the front. Konechny yep. down. So, it's, so involved in that is more so than just going to the net. It's actually finding the soft area where right. there's an opening for that much time that he did. Right. And that, as an evolution that's taken a long time for him, but he start, that's why he's starting to be rewarded. Right. I remember Berube, like we always used to talk, and I know this is a defenseman. When I talk to forwards, if you want to make life hard, just go into the middle of the ice on a defenseman. It's the worst thing you can deal with mentally because you, your head's swerving. Is there a guy coming there? Who's going to be in front? Do my, is my partner covering the middle? Where, you know, do I leave this guy to the outside? Oh, I have a tracker coming. The defenseman. So there's a million things the defenseman's saying. So I always tell people, if you can play the game of hockey as a good forward between the hash marks, get to that front of that net somehow. Nobody hits anymore. I mean, right. I used to see guys get cross-checked in the mouth for going to the front of the net 25, 30 years ago. It's probably why everybody's got CTE. But you know what? Nonetheless, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> they get into the front of the net. And they actually, no one touches them, and there's an available loose puck for them. But that's yeah. the harsh reality of, of the game. And it's a lot easier than it once was, and Konechny is figuring it out. That was a great example the other night of, of behind the net, out front, and everything. Yeah. It's okay. interesting, too, because, Ant, like, if, if I remember back to, like, the bubble year, I think it was the bubble year, one of the things that we kind of bantered back and forth about was putting Konechny in like the net front role on the power play and letting him kind of play that dirty gritty role and, and collect pucks and kind of, you know, roof him kind of, I don't know, maybe a little bit Briere esque, but like just being kind of tenacious and being a pest and being a pain in the ass and like good things can happen. And here we are a few years later and the, the role fits, you know, like he, yeah, it, it does. He's, he's, his game has evolved and he played, in a way, I don't know if it's fair to say that he plays bigger, but he's not afraid of contact. Whereas a guy like James Van Riemsdyk is a big body who is not a fan. Of As somebody once said, it looks like JV, JVR can strap an egg to his to his chest, and by the end of the game, it would still it still not be cracked. <laughs> True. Uh, I did. I did want to say I, we're gonna. Wrap, I know we're getting close to wrapping this up. Um, I did want to uh, just touch on one thing as far as um, you know, just following up on the Provorov potential trying to trade him thing. I mean, we talked about him. We didn't really dive into would the Flyers trade him. Um, I did talk to an uh, a source outside the organization. Um, 
talking about the Flyers, you know, offering him around, and they have. The Flyers have put feelers out. Like, what would you, what would you trade? Which guy again, Anthony? I lost Pro, for Pro Rob. For Pro Rob. I do know that uh, that LA checked in. Um, the Flyers were not happy with the offer that LA made. Um, Flyers said something back, and LA was reluctant. And they said, "Okay, well, you call us when you're ready." Um, the Flyers, from what I was told, uh, want a top six forward, either with a pedigree or one that will project projects out to that uh, to that spot. So they're looking if they're going to trade Provorov, they want to fill one of those needs for up for up top in the front of the lineup. Um, and that they are not going to settle for less than that at this point. Well, they may um, have to hold, they may have to hang on to them then. And in which case they would, in which case yeah. they would hang on to them. And that's why I said I'm I'm not certain that a team will get that will go that far. Maybe they look at it at the deadline in in you know six weeks and say, yeah, we're ready to go. We're ready to make this push, and we think Provorov is a difference maker for us on the blue line, and they're able to make that deal. But I don't see it. I think it's more of an off-season kind of setup. What about a risk line, Anthony? Is that is that a deadline type of move, or is that contract just – no, I'm asking. I, again, I don't know. Because sometimes you get somebody who's so desperate at a trade deadline that that yeah. may be the time where you dump a salary like that. The, the only – I mean, I think that you would have to – because of the – there's terms still left on that contract – you would have to be willing to eat some of the money. Um, and I think that the only player that they would probably be willing to do that with right now is Kevin Hayes because it's it's even more money, right? And if you – so, like, like if I look at a team – look look at Colorado, for example, right? I mean, here's the defending Stanley Cup champ that was decimated this year with injuries, never really replaced Nazem Kadri after he left. Um that's a team that is now going to start getting their better players back. McKinnon just came back. Eventually, Landis Gog is going to get back into that lineup. They're right now outside the playoffs and trying to get back in, right? And they're in their window to potentially win multiple cups. They won one, um, and they would like to win more. Um, so they're in that they're in that window. Maybe you look at a team like that and say, "Hey, Kevin Hayes might be a nice fit as a third line center for them to yeah, kind Winnipeg, of replace." Winnipeg did that too a few years ago. Yeah. Remember how that ended up? Yeah, and it was, but it wasn't as big, big a contract. But I think with the Flyers, if you're the Flyers, uh, would you say to Colorado, well, you know, you take Hayes, we will pay 50% of the salary for the next Ugh. three years. If they, if they do that, Chuck should probably consider driving them there too. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You don't need to get anything in return other than the cap space. <laughs> To me, I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, the cap space is, is the reward in the trade. So, I mean, I think that that's the one. Usually, you don't see guys with term get traded at the deadline. And, I mean, maybe a year, another year on their contract, okay. But you usually don't see guys with three, four years left on their contract get moved this is, at the deadline. This is not an ordinary happens. team, Anthony. It's not. It's when no, we, I, we, we, we talked about four defensemen for $26 million, right? That's not normal situation. So if you can dump a guy like D'Angelo, somebody might take him at the deadline. Now, now that that's, one, that, that, that that's a possible. more likely situation because he's only got one year left on his right. Job. So right. that I could see. I could see somebody taking Tony. I, I, I just don't see Risto because the contract goes a couple of years beyond. Like yeah. I just don't see it. And, and Provrov, I think it's the same thing. Now, can one? Can you move, maybe move one of those guys in the off season? Because now all of a sudden you're one less year on the deal. 
you know, and maybe make something work because the teams can exceed the cap by 10% in the yeah. offseason and they can work. I mean, and there's more teams to be involved. And then at the deadline, you're only working with the contenders, right? At the in the offseason, you can there's all 32 teams that are involved. So maybe then you could potentially do it, but I do not see it. Uh, I just don't see any of those guys really moving unless you are willing to pay a portion of their salary and have it count against your cap for the term that they have, in which case you could really only do one guy that way. And I think that they want to move Hayes more than they want to move anybody else. And so, therefore, that would be the one that they would be willing to eat some money. But there's a black Minnesota cloud that that uh, looms large over this whole situation. And his name is Chuck Fletcher. So I I don't understand. I keep coming back to this whole thing, and I feel like I've said the phrase, make it make sense, more this year than ever before. And there, there's a legitimate part of me that fears that if the Flyers were to keep up some of these winning ways, that he's going to manage to save his job again, despite the fact that winning is the worst thing for them right now. And a, a draft that has four or five really solid players, very good players, some are saying five-star players, at the top of this draft, one generational talent, you're you're effectively taking yourself out of that right now. He's going to probably look at the standings and say, I could, I could acquire a couple of pieces here. We can make a, a run to the playoffs, and I can save my job. And I sit here and I say, all right, once again, if we're looking at what's the best for this organization going forward, it's not not to make the playoffs, and it's not to be a bubble team that just misses the playoffs. It can't happen. If that's the case, then trading a guy like Ivan Provorov does make sense because if you are able to get something of value for him, maybe it helps you kickstart that rebuild that you need to do. But Chuck Fletcher shouldn't be the one to make that trade and he shouldn't be the one to oversee the rebuild. I keep coming back to this the same question again and again and again. Why would this organization put themselves in the position once again to have this man making the decisions and making the moves for the next few years in these next few months? The, the answer to that question is Dave Scott relies on the same voices to tell him that Chuck deserves more time, um, even though he doesn't. And there is, a, there is certainly a disconnect in the organization as far as that is concerned. There are people who believe that Chuck needs to go. And there are people who are telling Dave that Chuck needs to stay. And right now it's a, I think that Dave Scott is in a spot where he doesn't know what to do. Um, And that's just, that's just as bad as making a decision one way or the other. You know, I mean, really, you know, like not knowing it, it kind of freezes everything, right? I mean, you don't know who to trust in the franchise. You have people, and I said this on the podcast before, I'm not going to go into a whole diatribe about it again, but you have people who are rooting for each other to fail within the organization. And so therefore you need to find a way to, to resolve that. And by doing nothing, by being unsure, being unwilling to pull the trigger, you've kind of left yourself in a spot where this team at the end of the year, if it stays the course is going to be in the same exact spot. It was last year going into the off season yeah, you might know a little bit more about a couple of young players, but at the same time, it's no different. You're in the same spot you were a year earlier. Why do that? I mean, it's it's the definition of insanity is 
you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different yeah. result, right? I mean, yeah. and that's really where we've we've gotten to this point with the Flyers. So cha sometimes change just needs to be made for change's sake. Just for the sake of change, it needs to happen. In this case, it's more than that. But they're sitting in a spot where I think it's just uncertainty. And he needs to make a decision. And he needs to make a decision one way or the other. Even if we disagree with it, at least if he makes a decision the other way, at least the team knows where it's going. And you maybe get people trying at that point, okay, the guy's not going to fire him. I guess I should try and help my general manager win at this point, as opposed to I'd like to see my general manager gone so that we could do something different, right? I mean, I, you know, I at, at the very least, that's the bare minimum, right? Yeah, and I think Torts probably has a bigger voice in there now than he may, may have the first couple months or even in the summer. Yeah, I think he's probably saying, "Okay, I'm coaching this thing. I'm going to start tossing my." And we've we've talked. He's been hard on GMs everywhere he's been to try to up the ante to make the team better. And it sure seems like since we talked, guys, that he he absolutely has a hand in every discussion that goes on now with both player personnel, uh, incoming trade, whatever trades, possibilities, whatever. I think he knows is privy to all that information. And I will say this: I think and he's you're absolutely right, Bunny, because I can remember back in. I want to say early November, somebody from the organization sent me a text that said, John Tortorella will not tell us how to manage our team. And that same person in conversation with them a week and a half ago uh, talked glowingly about torts and knowing about what this team needs going forward. And so it's it's so funny that it was you know two week two you know two months ago the guy is not going to tell us how to run the team and now it's like oh you know he maybe he knows what he's talking about so I, I <laughs> it's it's really kind of interesting how that that how that goes but um, Russ before we get to the five stars and mm -hmm. I know you know usually you're the guy running the show and dictating I I, I think we have to talk about two non hockey related things all right okay. first. Uh, and Bundy mentioned it off the top, and we should we should let you uh, make your your big announcement uh, about being a dad again. Uh, little 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 Dino, uh, and it's yeah. Dino. Everybody knows it's Dino. Kyle Scott, who doesn't think that people would know D I N O is Dino. Um, but uh, talk talk us through how is how did it go? It was kind of a crazy week for you, I know. But uh, how did everything go with uh, with the little Dino coming into the fold? He's a good kid. He's a good baby. His mom's tough. <laughs> His mom was very, very tough. It was a, it was a, it was a strange set of circumstances because uh, she went into labor on the sixth, and the seventh is our second son's birthday. So I kept kind of pushing for like, all right, look, if if labor's actually happening, like let's get to the hospital. You know, we got like five hours. Get this kid out before he falls on our other son's birthday. You know, because I'm a, I'm an idiot, and I'm like, you know, you totally will these things to happen. <laughs> And so, uh, well, it obviously did not happen. So he came into the world at like 2.20 in the morning on the 7th. So now we have two sons who share the same birthday nice. who are six years, exactly six years apart. Um, but all the kids are enamored with uh, little Dino. They love him to death and they all want to hold him all the time. And he's, he's a cute kid. He's got a little mohawk. Uh, he's got like the natural mohawk. So but, uh, it's something. I, awesome. I definitely forgot what these, sleepness, what these sleepless nights feel like. I can't complain. I'm not the one that, uh, you know, is his food source. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I try, to make, 
trying to make my wife as comfortable as possible through all that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's good. Happy, happy that he's, uh, he's here and he's healthy and she's healthy and everything's good. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, congratulations from, from both of us and yeah. I'm sure from the entire snow, the goalie community. And the other yeah. issue now, now, now that we got the good, the good Russ story out of the way, Let's get the let's get the bad rust story out of the way. So so Bundy needs to talk to you, right? And he decides to give you a call, and you decide you cannot talk to him at a specific time because because you're in the bathroom. So I want it. So so I want you to defend yourself for a second that you cannot answer the phone while you are in the bathroom because I do it all the time. Bundy does it all the time. People do it all the time. You talk on the phone. When you, doesn't but the, the, people don't need to know that that's where you're at? But I mean, you can do it. It's it's not like you're FaceTiming while you're there, right? So you can t- have this conversation. I want you to defend it, and then I want to throw it out to the audience and see how people respond in the Snow the Goalie community. Put it on Twitter. Mention it in a five star review. Whatever. I want to know what people think. Can you or can you not use the phone while you're in the bathroom? It's a violation. No, it's not. I can't even believe this. I can't even believe this is a conversation. It's disgusting. It's not. I, a, I don't. Not listen, like it was it, this year, Russ. <laughs> where the what hell is, is that? What is that right there? For the people who are listening on the podcast feed, Bunny just showed a picture of two toilets uh, next to each other. No, Did you imagine? Uh, no I saw between. that in Europe once. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what do you do? You just That's... sit there and you look over like, hey, uh, what's going on, guy? <laughs> oh, just got one out. How about you? Oh, I don't know. I've been, I've been hoping. Crossing my fingers. I mean, Russ, somebody calls you and they're in the bathroom, pick up the phone. No. Nobody's going to know. It's not like there's like some bathroom dude looking over you going, oh, my God, he answered the phone in the bathroom. <laughs> there's a fan running. You had your phone bathroom. in the bathroom with you to begin there's with. There's a fan running. There's a fan running. Turn the listen. fan off. Why would I turn the fan off? <laughs> if you're sitting on it, listen. If you're sitting on a toilet because you got to get got to get to business, you don't then stand up, crab walk across the, the bathroom, you know, and go shut off the fan to be like, oh, hi, Bundy. What's up? No, I'll, t- I'll call you back in like two minutes, which is what I said. And, and this this apparently has, you know, uh, negatively impacted the uh, the perception of the elders here who uh, apparently just want to, you know, pinch off a turd. While on the phone with each other. I mean, listen, if you guys want to have some potty talk, by all means, you can. I just don't want to be part of it. Jesus, Russ. God, come on, Russ. <laughs> oh, that's, it's hysterical, man. I, I, I don't know. I, I have zero problem. Well, I call and, he goes, I can't talk. I'm in the bathroom. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so you what? your point. That's great I stuff. I, Pick I up the phone. You have beside yourself you were. You're just like, well, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> he was in the bathroom. True. Listen, this, is, this is this is this is too much too much talk about the bathroom at the end of the podcast. Yeah, All so. right, good stuff. Listen, get a, the five star. It was review. a crappy. It was a crappy situation to be in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we had one five star review uh, from last we week. We have two, don't we? We have one. Ah, we have one. check again, so, my friend. No, it's uh, Elise and another one. No. So this one is from Scotty Scotty BSQ. Um, still waiting for a cup. Love this podcast. Best mix of personalities, giving varied perspectives from the veteran writer to the informed host to the former player broadcaster who knows the organization. Say hi to uh, your oh. brother-in-law, Vince, from his old coworker, Scott. These guys make following the Flyers fun despite the continued failures on the ice. That being said, at least this year's product is watchable thanks to Torts. Last year was the first time I purposely skipped watching games as I found it to be excruciating. Yeah, you're right. The other one we did read already. 
That's I'm right. Sure. Once yeah, again, yeah. Russ is right. Thank you so much for listening. Even so, make sure you say hi to your brother-in-law, Bundy. Apparently, right? I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> anyway, it's one of those like, yeah, yeah. Say hi to your brother-in-law for me. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll get on that. <laughs> Thanks for the great like, review. The next though. time you're on the toilet, the next time you're on the toilet, let your let your brother-in-law know. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Russ. I'm gonna have to make sure I put you in my role decks of what time I can call you at. That's I exactly blocked you it. off from nine thirty to ten from now, and don't call we'll, Russ. We'll create a status update on the on the toilet. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie, watching Snow the Goalie on the Crossing Broad YouTube channel. Uh, find us, follow us uh, wherever you can. All the links are in the description of this episode for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so for Ant, for Bundy, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening, maybe even watching. We'll talk to you next week. See you guys.